Push the mute button on the, oh, thank you. Go ahead and hit the next slide. I didn't write down my songs. <laughs> Good evening. We're going to start with this one, number 115. We are extremely short-staffed tonight, but it's good to see the dozen of you that made it out. out. Um, we're going to have two songs. Then a scripture reading and prayer, I think. And one more song and sermon. And then uh, uh, invitation, announcements, closing, whatever. You'll figure it out after that. Number 115. Crown him with many crowns, a lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Awake my soul and sing of him who died for thee, and hail him as thy matchless king throughout eternity. Crown him the Lord of life, who triumphed o'er the grave, who rose victorious in the strife for those he came to save. His glories now we sing, who died and rose on high, who died eternal life to bring, and lives that death may die. Crown him the Lord of heaven, who one with the Father known, and the blessed Spirit through him given from yonder glorious throne. All hail, Redeemer, hail, for thou hast died for me. Thy praise and glory shall not fail throughout eternity. <coughs> Number 871. 871. After this song, we'll have our uh, scripture reading and prayer, opening prayer for this evening. In his time, in his time, he makes all things beautiful. In his time, Lord, please show me every day as you're teaching me your way that you do just what you say in your time. In your time. 
make all things beautiful in your time. Lord, my life to you I bring. May each song I have to sing be to you a lovely thing in your time. <coughs> Scripture reading for tonight is from Luke chapter 23, beginning with verse 44. And this is the crucifixion of Jesus. Verse 44 says, And it was now about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, because the sun was obscured, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, unto your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Go with me now in prayer, please. Dear, wonderful, kind, heavenly Father, the creator of us all, the guardian and guide of us all, Father, we pray that you would bless our assembly this evening that we might open our minds and our hearts to you to your word and to the songs and to understand just how great you are and how glorious you are father we pray that you will be with those that are not here we've many on our sick list father we've many fighting cancer we've many fighting the covid Father, we ask your blessings to be upon them and heal them, give them what they need, and bless their families and strengthen them. Father, go with us through our service. Be with Rick as he presents the lesson. Help him to have the words to say that will touch our hearts with the truth. Go with us through the rest of the service, Father, and forgive us when we do things that are wrong. Help us to make our lives to be what you'd have them to be in jesus name we pray amen before lesson tonight number 825 <clears throat> and after the lesson uh, this afternoon Number 755, if you're using a book, you can mark 755. That'll be the song of invitation. Number 825 before the lesson. Would you stand, please? Not, not to insult anybody. <laughs> my, dad, my dad's a preacher. My dad has preached for, I don't know, 60 years probably. Still preaching. He used to tell, have an illustration, you know, he's always preached for small congregations, 20, 30, 40 people, 
where he's at now, there's about 40 people. And he'd always use the illustration that, well, you know, if, if only two or three of the cows show up, you still have to feed the cows. You know, there, there may be 50 cows out in the pasture, but if three show up, you've got to feed the cows. So I'm not referring to you guys as cows, <laughs> but thank you for showing up, and we can worship uh, corporately uh, regardless of who's here. So I appreciate that. Brain number 25. <clears throat> Jesus, my heavenly King, loves me, I know. Praises to him I sing, onward I go. Closely to him I cling, blessings still flow. I love my Savior too. I love my Savior, he loves me too. I seek his favor in everything I do. Walking with him each day, love light the shine. Doing his will always, never repine. Kneeling to him I pray, thy will not mine. I love my Savior too. I love my Savior, he loves me too. I seek his favor in everything I do. Happy to serve my friend, lean on his arm. Rapture will never end, nothing alarm. Voices will sweetly blend under his charm. I love my Savior too. I love my Savior, he loves me too. I seek his favor in everything I do. Excuse me, please. Song of invitation number 755. little thing goes in where he had the, uh, the other. Could you run back there and get the original and I'll mess with that because this one's not going to move it at all. The round one. Thanks, Jeremy. Um, thank you uh, for being here this evening. This is indeed the lightest crowd that I think I've ever seen here. Uh, congratulations on that. Uh, work will begin tomorrow. We're going to remove the back eight rows of uh, all sections of pews.
make sure I'm on. Oh, there I am. And I've lost my little round black thing, but we'll do without that. All right. Maybe it was just batteries this morning. When we talk about the crucifixion, the focus is on Jesus, and rightly so. Uh, Without his willing, self-determined sacrifice, we would not have the crucifixion. We would not have the blood of Christ working for us. We would not have all that comes from the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. But for tonight, for a few minutes, I want to talk about uh, God. What was going on with God at that time while he was on the cross? We don't have any scripture, but we have other scriptures that might suggest um, how God was feeling uh, at the time. So let's look at that. We know that God willingly gave his son on the cross Uh, It tells us that in Scripture, uh, when Jesus uh, said in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if you are willing to remove this cup, take it from me. And then he said, yet not my will, but your will. It was God's will that Jesus be sacrificed on the cross, and that's what Jesus did. That's why he came to this earth, was to do his Father's will. And that is replete throughout all of what Jesus said on this earth. He says, I do what the will of my Father is. I and my Father are one. And many other passages that echo that same thought. We know in John 3.16, that famous passage, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that who believes, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It was by his design. It was by his um, force of will, I guess, if you want to put it that way. Romans 4.25 says, He, Jesus, was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Yes, the Jews met Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Yes, they tried him in their own court and yes they did deliver him to the Roman army but he was delivered to the cross he was delivered to that entire scenario and all that went on by his heavenly father when you get right down to it in Romans 5 8 But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ demonstrated his love for us, didn't he? But it says here, God demonstrated his love. It was at at the behest and the will of God that Jesus came to, to this earth to die for us. Now, lest we get too separated here... um, Jesus was in the beginning. He was with God. He was God. He was part of this plan from the beginning. But for him to leave heaven, his estate, and come down to this earth, it took sacrifice on his part. Once he got here, 
while they were still one in purpose. I'm thinking there was even a greater separation between Jesus and God than when there might have been in heaven. At least Jesus was human and he was on this earth. So when we read passages like this, we get more of a separation of those two. God was doing the willing. Jesus was doing the complying. Although we know that Jesus was willing it himself and complying it himself, with it himself from the beginning. Romans 8.32 says, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will we not also along with him graciously give? How will he not also give us gracious uh, gifts? Okay? Here we get a little bit to the emotional side of this. He didn't spare his own son. He didn't withhold what most fathers would do. He gave his son. He willingly gave his son to this, this, uh, this plan of redemption. And he didn't spare his son. He sent him to this earth to die. Luke 22, 22 says, The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. Another word, key word there, God decreed this. God said it, this is the way it will work. Just pause for a second, and, and, and I'm sure you've probably asked yourself, what, what would make God choose this way? You know, we, we asked this morning in class, uh, you know, why, why did God create man? Why did he put him on this earth? And, and we don't know that answer. One of the answers that was given was because he wanted something to love him as much as he wanted that, to love it. And that's a, that's a viable answer. I don't know if that's why he did. He did that, and that's what he wants. I don't know why he initiated the plan in the first place. But here it says he decreed from the beginning. And this is the way it was going to be. These passages talk about God's will to do this, his gift of his son to mankind, and all of this was part of a, a much larger plan. Speaking of that scheme of redemption, if you have ever thought about a way that God, a better way, <laughs> imagine that, a better way to have man return his love back to God, could you come up with a better plan? Could you come up with a God in heaven sending another part of the Godhead to come to this earth to live not as God, but to live as man and to suffer the things that he underwent to deliver God's will to mankind, to establish his kingdom on this earth, and then to have to undergo, have to undergo all that he went through on our behalf up to and through the cross and the bearing of our sins 
tying our sins to that sacrifice the way he had tied in the Old Testament their sins to those animal sacrifices. I don't know that you could come up with a better plan. I don't know why you would want to come up with a better plan. Wrapped up in that design is everything that we all know and understand about love and compassion and sacrifice and self-denial and appreciation and debt back to our God and to uh, Jesus as well. It's just an amazing way for mankind to uh, recognize his own weaknesses, his own sins, and to be able to redeem himself from that sin through the grace that God has offered through his son. Not only did he plan it, he foretold it as well. And here are a few passages that tell us about that. Acts 3, 18 and then 24 uh, to 26, a few verses later it says, but this is how God fulfilled what he foretold through the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold of these days, and you are heirs of what the prophets have told and about that covenant that God made with your fathers. Part of that covenant that God made with our fathers was the seed promise that was going to be in all the nations of the earth, Abraham, your seed is going to come. Your seed, singular, as the, the later verses tell us, was Jesus Christ. And so that plan was not only put into effect, it was foretold. Even before, long before uh, the New Testament came about, it was in the works and it was told to the prophets and the prophets shared that information as well. There was also, you know, we can get a little bit more specific with that. It was a point in time. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. He knew about it. It was his plan. That's why it's taking place. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Next, Matthew 25, 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you, since the creation of the world. Now this is judgment day. It's being talked about here. And at the end of time, there's going to be a reflection back to when this plan was put into effect. It says, since the creation of the world, this kingdom on earth and this heavenly kingdom ultimately at the end of time were from the very beginning. It was part of the plan. So we can say, possibly, that it was then. But notice what else it says. This is the curse for Satan that God foretells, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He, that seed, Jesus, will crush your head and you will strike its heel. So uh, that is during or shortly after or during that creation period, the first few chapters of Genesis, so we're still talking about the creation of the world. But the plan was long was devised even long before that. Notice what 1 Peter 1, 17 to 21 says. 
Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here with reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty, empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. You were not redeemed with perishable silver and gold things of this life. You were redeemed with something much greater. You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And then notice this. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last days during the first century for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. So even before the creation, it says here, before the creation of the world, he was chosen. He was selected. Part of God's plan from the beginning of the beginning of the beginning. That far back. So, God planned and decreed and foreordained and caused Jesus to be sacrificed on the cross. I don't know that we can conclude anything else from the passages we've just looked at. Not only that, he foretold this in many different ways, through many different prophets and through many different um, individual prophecies that, that he made and statements he made through those prophets and just on his own. God willingly carried out this plan because he loves us and wants us to love him in return. Like we said a while ago, I don't know if that's why he created us, but it's certainly a manifestation of what we read about in scripture. He wants us to love him he wants us to be like him and be like his son. So if it wasn't for that reason, that certainly is something that we realize is a fact. Here's an interesting observation. Fathers, generally, any good father, will love their children and provide the best for them. Luke 11 11 says, now which one of you fathers will ask his son, uh, will, will his son ask for a fish and instead of a fish he gives him a snake? Or will he even ask for an egg and his father will give him a scorpion? These are rhetorical questions. They don't require answers. They're so obvious in the acting and the asking of them that fathers love their children and they want the best for them. And they're willing to give them gifts that are good for them. So this principle that's set up in, in Luke 11 here is an enduring principle. It's human nature. It's godly nature also. When you got your spankings when you were growing up, did your father or mother ever tell you this? Did you ever tell your child this just before whatever punishment you rendered, this is going to hurt you more than it's going to hurt me. Those just idle words? Or did they really, did we really mean it? This is often said by a parent getting ready to carry out some sort of discipline on a child. Why do parents say that? Is it to ease the pain that is about to take place on the child? Whether it's 
physical, emotional, depriving them of some privilege or whatever that they're going to have to suffer through? Is it to ease that? Um, maybe. That's a little bit of that. Maybe to ease their own conscience a bit that I am, I am going to willingly inflict pain upon you because you need it, you deserve it. It's going to help you in the long run not do this or something like it again. Is it to convince the child that despite the pain, the parent still loves them? I think that's probably a lot of it. Um, I am doing this to you, this physical act or depriving you of something, not because I don't like you, not because uh, I hate you, not because I want to do this. It's because it's what's best for you. It's because I love you and I will always love you regardless of whatever I have to do to make your life better in the future than it might otherwise be without this kind of correction. Does it do any good? I don't know. We could all ask ourselves, do we believe them when they were about ready to inflict that pain on us? <laughs> Brian shaking his head, no. I don't, I, as children, I don't know that we can't. We certainly cannot appreciate that complex dynamic that's going on there. Later in life, we can when we have children of our own. And there is much about raising kids that we don't understand and can't comprehend until we have our own. Parents do not like to see their children suffer. That is, that is a fact. Uh, I can remember uh, one time Mackenzie was going down the driveway and we always said, look both ways before you go. And, and she was down there just learning to ride her bicycle and uh, there was a car coming slowly out of the little cul-de-sac over here. The car saw her and stopped, but she saw the car and panicked and ditched her bike and tore the you know, skin off the, the top of her kneecap there. So I took her to, uh, didn't take her to the emergency room for which I regularly get uh, reproved because they would have done a better job on the scar, I am told, but took her to the ready-med place and they sewed it up and fixed it and everything. But we were sitting in that, in that outer room waiting to go in and there were three or four people in there and I had a little child whose leg was bleeding and, and she was upset and everything and those people just went ahead and walked right in and walked right in and walked right in and I'm thinking I think if I had somebody who was in as much pain as she is right now I think I'd let them take my place I did not like seeing my child in pain I still don't and that will stay with us all of our lives we don't like to see our children in pain, we don't like to see them suffer. Whether it's physical pain or emotional pain or relationship pain or anything like that. Two scenarios. If my child's in pain, it is because something has happened to them. Injured or they fell or uh, they're ill or something of that sort. That's outside of our control. We can do something about it. We can take them to the doctor and make sure they, they get fixed up, whatever the case may be. But then the second scenario is um, oh, in, in this case, uh, we, are, we are helpless. All the love in the world can't take away that child's pain. The other scenario is that, that their pain is at my, in my hand. 
through discipline that we were just talking about or some other situation. It's a different kind of pain, but it is just as hurtful. At least the satisfaction, question mark, that is for their good. One day they'll appreciate it, we hope, when they become parents themselves. We, will, we hope that they will look back and say, that was for our own good. Thank you for doing that. Those are really nice words to hear from your children. Thank you for doing what you did for me that at the time I didn't understand why you did it. I don't know everything. And even with the scripture, we can't understand fully the relationship between Jesus and God while he is on earth. We know that Jesus prayed a lot to him. We know that um, he was laser focused on carrying out the will of his father. He knew what his mission was. He knew when it was time to publish it, to announce that he had done something. Several times he told people, don't say anything about this. It wasn't the right time. There was a plan. He knew what had to take place at the right time in that sequence of events. But I don't know about their relationship. I don't know that God and Jesus used this father-son relationship um, so that we could identify with it. We could have just said, part of the Godhead came down. He may have been the son in heaven before he came down. There are some who say uh, he was equal with God. A passage in the scripture says that he did not count it robbery to claim equality with God. He was part of the Godhead. And he could have come down not in a father-son relationship, especially if that relationship didn't exist beforehand. But they chose to put it in that kind of framework, a father and son. And at least part of that is so that we could identify with that. It's a, it's a human experience that most of us go through. And even if it's not father-son, it's mother-son. It's that parent-child relationship. We are given the earthly example, the biblical type, and Abraham having to sacrifice Isaac. I think I talked this morning about this idea of willingly giving up your, your son because God directed you to do it. Although that wasn't part of the plan, the way you understood it, but still having the faith to carry that out, knowing, and, and scriptures even tell us that, knowing that God was able, even able to raise him from the dead if that's what he wanted to do. So what, have been, what must have been going through Abraham's mind? What emotions must he have been experiencing? We do, not, we do know that God is an emotional God and he has feelings and emotions. So, what was going on in God's mind during the crucifixion? Much of the Gospels talk about the closeness. I'm not going to read that to you. Just notice all the different ways it says that Jesus was connected to the Father with the bolded and underlined. That's just uh, 11 verses there. And many times it says the Father and the Son are close. The Father 
and the Son are one. God planned from the, uh, from the foundation. Fathers know they will have to discipline their children. He knew that Jesus was going to have to suffer on the cross. It, he had decreed it. Knowing beforehand does not make it any easier. Knowing beforehand that at some point I'm going to have to discipline my child. Choose your method. It's not going to be pleasant. It's not going to be fun. But just knowing beforehand doesn't make it any easier when it, when it occurs. Maybe the resolve to do it helps you get through. Discipline, when administered properly and for the right reason, is absolutely necessary. Hebrews 12, 11 tells us, No discipline seems pleasant at the time on either end of that. But it's painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So the things that we undergo in this life, the suffering that we do as a Christian, is a form of discipline. We are attached to God, and we're suffering for that attachment. And it's going to happen to all of us. I think it's Second Timothy that tells us all who desire to be godly will suffer persecution. Granted, as we said this morning, they suffered in ways much greater than we will ever do. Maybe. We hope. However, it is never easier fun to punish your children. Though God knew and planned the cross, it could not have been easy. So what was on God's mind during the Last Supper? When Jesus had to dismiss Judas after he forecasted that Judas was going to be the one, at least to Judas himself or an aside to one of the apostles there, he said to Judas, whatever you do, go do it now. Judas left. Jesus said, or felt, I think, it's by design, we now can have the Lord's Supper. I now can institute this remembrance of what I'm about to undergo on the cross. What was he thinking about during the prayers in Gethsemane when Jesus was pleading, is there any way for this not to happen? What was God thinking? What was God feeling during the betrayal, during the arrest, during the verbal and physical abuse at the hands of the Jews, the scourging at the hands of the Romans, the nails being driven into his hands and feet, being lifted, which is a kind term, up on that cross, the hours of physical and spiritual suffering, and then breathing his last breath. What was going on in the mind of God? If it was a true father-son relationship, anything like what we have on this earth, we have to know that he was suffering he was hurting. He was in pain. God was right there with feeling every painful injustice. In the Old Testament, we hear quite a bit from God and about God, not that much. In the New Testament, directly from God, we have his thoughts, his mission for mankind coming through his son. 
this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. I doubt if God said that, but he might have been thinking it at the time it was under, it was going on. God was disciplining all of us for our sins. You know, after the uh, Mel Gibson's movie, Passion of the Christ, came out, the Jews got upset, and they said, you're making us look bad. Mel Gibson said, read the Bible. It's right there. He said, well, we didn't do it. The Roman army did it. The Jews didn't do it. The Roman army did it. Okay, all right, Jews, Romans, and I think you know where I'm headed with this next statement. No revelation. We did it. We all did it through our sins. 1 Peter 2, 24 says, But Jesus kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously, and he himself brought our sins in his body upon the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. And by his wounds, we are healed. We put him on the cross. The fact that we as human beings are weak and sin against God and need a way to be reconciled to God so that everything will work out fine and we can be with them in eternity. God had to shake us and he did it through the sacrificing of his son. He wanted us to know how serious a business sin is and how it can condemn us throughout all eternity. But that he has extended his love to us through his son and through the giving of his son so that we don't have to do, experience that. We don't have to experience what we deserve. Our sins put him there. His sacrifice gives us the opportunity to have those sins removed. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of Jesus. You'll recognize this as uh, 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, I don't know if that's part of what was read this morning uh, during the Lord's Supper, but that's the passage he's talking about there. We are guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord if we partake of that remembrance ceremony, that supper, that Lord's Supper, we call it, by doing so in an unworthy manner. None of us is worthy to partake. It means that if we corrupt it in some way. Church at Corinth had turned it into a common meal and they had other things going on as well. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. That's the reflection about what caused Jesus to be on the cross in the first place and how unworthy we are, but that we are thankful that he did. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. There were many who were suffering on crucifixion day. All of those who had followed Jesus and were still following him and knew him to be the Messiah, the Son of God, were suffering. Mary, his mother, John, the beloved disciple, the one, the only one that we know of who was there at cross with Mary and the rest of the other uh, disciples who were there. Joseph of Arimathea we know was there or there shortly thereafter because he helped take the body down from the cross. Nicodemus was part of that. Peter and the apostles were certainly aware of what was going on. They knew that Jesus was being crucified. 
Don't know if they were in the immediate territory. I doubt it. Joe mentioned this morning that they were in the upper room, most likely, and that may have been where they were at the time of the crucifixion. Mary was watching her son suffer, and we have talked about the pain of watching your child suffer. But God essentially was administering that pain and suffering. And as the saying goes, maybe it was hurting him more than Jesus. That's an assumption on my part. But given what we know about that father-son relationship, given what we know about administering pain and suffering to one of your own children, I'm thinking the comparison is there. Maybe I'm wrong. This is an assumption, an assertion on my part. Maybe God was suffering the most. As father, he was much more intimately involved with any of these other individuals, even the mother of Jesus. Jesus said seven things, seven uh, different quotes on the cross, but the last two were, it is finished, and Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. It is finished. I'm sure you've heard sermons on what all that could mean. His mission on earth was over. He died. He yet had to be buried and raised from the dead. But his teaching, his preparation of the apostles, very little preparation of the apostles occurs after Jesus rises from the dead. He appears to them, convinces them that he has risen from the dead, but his mission to prepare them to establish the church and carry on his work has already been been completed. Maybe it was the pain and the suffering is finished on everyone's part. Maybe it's the fact that the plan that had been initiated in the beginning to redeem mankind was finished. There are a lot of ways you could look at that. And then finally, he speaks directly to God for the last time. He says, I commend my spirit. It doesn't say this in 1 Corinthians 11, but I'm going to insert us in there because I want every time you partake of the Lord's Supper from now on, that's my wish, my desire, that you think yes about Jesus but also think about the Father. Think about the pain and the suffering that he underwent at the same time. We often hear that God turned his back on his son while he was on the cross. How could a God do that? I got a feeling he was suffering right there along with him. He couldn't save him and take him down. That wasn't a part of the plan. Think about what God was going through. And think about it especially with your familiarity of what a parent goes through when a child is ill. Larry Gadlin wrote a song years ago. wasn't one of his big hits. Some of you have never heard of Larry Gatlin, I'm I'm guessing. And here are the words of that song. One hammer cast a shadow on the rough and stony ground. It was raised toward the heavens, and all at once it came crashing down. It drove a spike 12 inches long through each tender hand. 
and nailed to one wooden cross, one guiltless man. One spear was cast in anger into one precious side. Two dice were thrown in mockery for his robe just before he died. Two eyes were cast up to heaven. Forgive them, God, he prayed. And I know it must have rained in heaven on crucifixion day. I know it must have rained in heaven on crucifixion day. The promised resurrection must have seemed at least a million miles away. All the lights went out in heaven, except the light of love that somehow stayed in the broken heart of God, the Father, on crucifixion day. I don't like to end with poems or songs. I certainly wasn't going to sing it for you because that would have really messed things up. It wouldn't have been appropriate also. But I thought that the words of that song captured everything that I was trying to say with this sermon. God loves us. He's always loved us. He wants us to love him. And the best way, the absolute best way that we can do that is to confess that he, Jesus, is the Son of God. Render ourselves to baptism, have our sins washed clean, and then live a godly life as close to the pattern that Jesus lived for us the rest of our lives. If you're subject to the invitation for initial rendering of obedience or if you need the prayers of the congregation, please come forward as we stand and sing. Christ shall rise and the glory of his resurrection share. When his chosen ones shall gather to their home beyond the skies and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, when the called up yonder when the roll is called up yonder I'll be there let us labor for the master from the dawn till setting sun let us talk of all his wondrous love and care then when all of life is over and our work on earth is done and the roll is called up yonder I'll be there when the roll is called up yonder 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 i'll be there
Thanks, Rick. Uh, just a couple of updates with our announcements, uh, reminders on the announcements. Just uh, the Sunday for the Savior, which is supposed to be this evening right after services at 5 o'clock has been canceled. That'll be rescheduled. Uh, reminder, this Wednesday, uh, there'll be a Stepping Stones dinner from 5.30 to 6.30, spaghetti on the menu. Also, Jeremy mentioned this this morning, there are surveys out in the foyer on the table. Uh, the elders are soliciting feedback about different areas here at the church. Um, if you can take one of those and fill it out, and there's a white mailbox in the foyer, in the, uh, yeah, in the foyer that you can place those in. We'd appreciate that. In terms of updates to a prayer list, uh, just remember to keep Rusty Leap in your prayers and his family. Uh, Judy Gerald, the passing of her brother, Buddy Graham. Uh, Marvin Jordan is having surgery on January the 10th um, on his back. And um, also Judy Jordan is going through some uh, time, difficult times with uh, her physical therapy. Uh, Larry Faulkner uh, had heart surgery last week, so he continues to recover. Also keep Kristen Ward and her family in your prayers. And uh, Tanya Ward's stepdad, David Petticord, is uh, still in the hospital in Florida with a uh, kidney infection. And then, as we mentioned this morning, just um, many of our numbers are dealing with COVID right now, so continue to keep each of them in your prayers. And Daniel Spears' um, baby girl, Charlotte, is in the hospital in Texas, and Denise is in Texas right now helping to care for that family. So uh, just keep them in your prayers. And also, um, I mentioned this morning, Junior Sullivan, Connie's husband, was baptized on Thursday at Cabell Huntington Hospital. He's still in the hospital in room 4756, and uh, they would appreciate cards um, to send that, uh, those to him. That's all the announcements I have. If you've not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, you can do so in the uh, conference room during the singing of our last song. We'll have one more song and be dismissed with a closing prayer. Let's close with every time I feel the Spirit. Every time I feel the Spirit moving in my heart, I will pray. Yes, every time I feel the Spirit moving in my heart, I will pray. Upon the mountain, my Lord spoke. Out of his mouth came fire and smoke. I looked all around me, and it looked so fine. Till I asked my Lord if all was mine. And every time I feel the Spirit moving in my heart, I will pray. Yes, every time I feel the Spirit moving in my heart, I will pray. Jordan River is chilly and cold. It chills the body, but not the soul. There ain't but one train upon this track. It runs to heaven and then right back. And every time I feel the Spirit moving in my heart, I will pray. Yes, every time I feel the Spirit moving in my heart, I will pray.
Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day and for everything that you have given us, and thank you for letting us come together and learn more about your word, and thank you for Rick and his lesson, and let us take what we've learned and apply it to our everyday lives, Lord, and be with those who are traveling or are sick, and just watch over them and be with their families, and most importantly, thank you for your son and his death on the cross to take away our sins. Christ, I pray. Amen.